Thomas Andrews was a designer. He left school at 16. He began an entry-level apprenticeship. Um, his apprenticeship was long hours of physical work, morning until night. It lasted five years, and only in the fifth year of that apprenticeship, he began to look and explore um, some technical drawing as an aspect of um, that apprenticeship. He um, started to look at the architecture uh, behind his designs. On completion of his apprenticeship, he continued to work in the day and study in the evenings, trying to uh, gain the accreditations that he needed to enter that line of work. He gained a reputation for his work ethic, working hard all day to go home and study at night. He soon became registered with the academic institutions that he needed affiliations with and was appointed as head of the drafting department of a large firm. He was then recognised as a genius in his field and at age 34, Thomas Andrews was commissioned as chief designer of the biggest project of his life. For the next four, five years, he would devote his life to its work. The project then went through months and months of testing before he would personally deliver it. Any idea who he is? He was the designer of the Titanic. He hand-delivered his creation from Belfast ahead of its maiden voyage. Looking around the room, I'm going to hazard a guess that 90% of us have seen the film The Titanic, maybe even a few times looking at some of you. But with um, many, many watches clocked up between us, we don't necessarily know the backstory of the man, the key figure, the designer. We pro probably never thought about what it would be like to be him in those moments. What it would be like to know him in those moments. Thomas Andrews has very little place in the film The Titanic. Maybe you remember the scene in the smoking room as he watches the picture and he has a bit of conversation with some um, others. As chaos ensues on the water, we just see him resting in the back of the boat. Have you ever considered how he must have felt in that moment? Everything he had given his life to. His most proud achievement. The absolute panic of hitting a giant iceberg and his own creation taking on water. 2,240 lives on his head. All that responsibility. All those tireless working nights. And so he set about his task, assessing the damage and analysing the situation only to work out horribly. The reality was there was an insufficient number of lifeboats. There was numerous buoyancy aids that were compromised throughout the boat. The design was flawed. His masterpiece was going to sink. Thomas Andrews was the chief naval architect for the ship. The Titanic struck the iceberg and sank on the April the 15th, 1912. Reports suggest that Andrews 
quickly knew that they weren't going to survive. He wasn't going to survive for sure. And so he took responsibility to clear the decks, sacrifice himself for the rescue efforts, give much needed information to those that were trying to scramble for the boats. Despite his best efforts, the Titanic didn't have enough boats to carry passengers away from the sinking ship and over 1,500 people lost their lives in the tragedy. The reason I begin like that this afternoon is we know the story of the Titanic. But this afternoon we join another historical account, another real boat in real trouble, and looking around the room, probably a similar number of us, percentage-wise, are very familiar with this account. As chaos ensues on the water, we see the designer just resting at the back of the boat. But what I really want us to do this afternoon is to hone in on the person of Jesus and really recognise what it is to meet him, to know him. We're going to see two things. First, Jesus' real identity must be revealed from verses 35 to 38. Second, Jesus' real identity is overwhelming, verse 39 to 41. So first, Jesus' real identity must be revealed. We're carrying on in the book of Mark in this series, and Mark's purpose in this first part of his account is to record a fast-paced narrative, revealing the identity of Jesus. He's pretty direct from the very first Verse, if you flip back to 1 verse 1, it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. He's direct. He reveals his hand pretty quickly. And these opening chapters, they drive towards the moment in chapter 8, where Jesus asks, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And so through these chapters, it's like a rapid unfolding of the identity of this man, Jesus, the Messiah. Using words like immediately, and then Jesus. And again, linking the narrative blocks as you read through these first eight chapters. To get to that moment where the penny drops. Jesus' real identity must be revealed. And there's lots of reasons why in these first chapters... People don't seem to grasp fully the identity of Jesus. And we see a few clues here in chapter 4 as to why that happens, what's going on. That day Jesus has been teaching in parables all day to many people. You can see that earlier in the chapter. Parables are stories. They're, as Jesus describes, clearly to illustrate the point to some people while having an element of mystery to others. This is what Jesus says, verse 10. You can just have a look up on the page. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah where Isaiah in the Old Testament, the prophet, is given a task to go and tell people about God, but he's told, he knows, the job, well, people aren't going to listen. 
People have set themselves up against God. And in and of themselves are incapable of listening to this message. Recognising God. Submitting to him. Jesus is making it clear to his followers that his identity must be revealed. See, despite the healings and teachings in the previous chapters, people don't recognise what it is that he is the Messiah. Because remember in this account there's a progressive revealing of who Jesus is. It begins with Jesus' baptism right at the beginning of chapter 1. And it culminates in Jesus beating death and going to heaven to be with his father. And each moment reveals something of the identity of Jesus. But just as with the disciples, we can see, we can hear, we can read all about Jesus the Messiah. But we need God's help in revealing him so that we would perceive and understand. So let's have a look. It's been a long day. We can see that. It's still the same day as the preceding verses. Jesus has been teaching the crowds and disciples have been listening in. And look what happens, verse 35. We rejoin the bit that we read. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. You see, on that day, when he'd explained why he used parables, he selected his disciples to withdraw. There's a very definite camera pan, if you're making a film of this. What's now in focus is the relationship between Jesus and his closest followers. Jesus has had a long day, and you see, just little detail, he came just as he was. Didn't go home for a shower and a little rest. He came just as he was, so he was tired in the back of the boat. These kind of boats, they'd have had a little resting place, probably with a cushion, somewhere appropriate for someone to have a little rest like that. And so it's subtle, but look, the disciples are in familiar territory now. Do you see in verse six, uh, verse 36, do you see what it says? They took him along. See, just a tiny subtle detail, but it's their boat. They know what they're doing, and Jesus is their guest. They were comfortable, but not for long. Because of the geography of Lake Galilee, where they were, sudden changes in weather would actually have been quite normal. There's a couple of mountains with a valley between them that act as a kind of funnel for this kind of weather. It should have been very familiar for these experienced fishermen on the lake. But look at verse 37. Something was different. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Sounds like that is happening right now in junior church. But the circumstances of the day were so overwhelming that the, the disciples were clearly petrified. Do you see that by what they say in verse 38? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
Because having seen Jesus perform miracles and teaching, they go to him and say, is this it? Are we going to die? You see, there's still a question mark over the true identity of Jesus. What does it actually mean to be the Messiah in the storm? Satoshi Nakamoto was the creator, or certainly known to be the creator of Bitcoin, the first and most well-known cryptocurrency. In 2008, an individual using the name Satoshi Nakamoto published a white paper titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer cash or electronic cash system. The paper describes a decentralised digital currency that would enable peer-to-peer transactions without the need for intermediaries like banks. We've seen Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies take off to some degree in the last 10 years or so. The concept of Bitcoin revolutionised the financial world and laid the foundation for this kind of technology. But for years, Satoshi Nakamoto his identity remained a real mystery as Bitcoin gained popularity in the cryptocurrency community, whatever that is, in some corner of the metaverse, uh, really wanted to know his identity. Um, they became pretty insistent. But despite the hints that were dropped to this community and persistent efforts Satoshi Nakamoto's identity has never been completely uncovered. He'd been careful to reveal enough, but not enough to know exactly who he is. Satoshi Nakamoto was very deliberate in carefully revealing his identity. And so, if you were to stumble upon these places in the metaverse where people of cryptocurrency enthusiasm speak about who's uh, behind it all, you'd see all kinds of conversation about who this man is and what difference it makes to what's going on. But the enigma continues. See, just look at verse 37. A question mark still remains over Jesus' identity. What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? in the context of the storm. And you see what's happening? As Jesus' identity is being carefully revealed throughout this account in Mark, it's actually in this moment a very personal, intimate account that helps his followers to personally grasp the gravity of his identity. That camera pan has happened and it is now between him and his closest followers. And so it's worth for us this afternoon asking, are you convinced of Jesus' true identity? Are you convinced of what it means for you today? Are you convinced of what it means for you in everyday life, in the coming week, what it means to face reality, knowing Jesus the Messiah? Let's see what follows as the story unfolds. The second thing we see in our passage is 
Jesus' real identity is overwhelming. Look what happens next. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. See, in the heart of the storm, Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind and wave, and it's calm. Look down at verse 39. It died down. And it was completely calm. There's just no way to adequately paint that picture. From chaos to calm. The competent and experienced sailors in a state of utter panic. And yet Jesus simply says a few words. And the wind and waves calm. In that moment, he displays complete power over the wind and waves. Jesus is able to display complete power over nature in that moment because he is supreme over all creation. Supreme, our dictionary definition, is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power and status. What does it mean to be the Messiah? What does this bit of the narrative in history tell us what it means to be the Messiah? Well, part of what it means is that he, Jesus, the Messiah, is supreme because this is God's promised king. This is what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In him, everything was created. In him, everything holds together. In him, we find life. He's superior in power, authority and status to every created thing. And that might be the very first time you've heard that about Jesus. But more likely, you've heard that numerous times before. But you see, here's where it really makes a difference. Remembering it's zooming in on this personal relationship between Jesus and his followers. Look at Jesus' response in verse 40. It might seem a bit odd. Isn't that a bit unreasonable, verse 40? Have a look. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you see, Jesus is raising the question... Have you still not grasped my full identity and what it means for this moment? See, Jesus is saying nothing about this storm challenges my identity. Nothing about this storm challenges my identity. 
Nothing about this storm challenges my care for you. Why are you afraid? This is what it means for us. Jesus does not say to you, scary, hard things are not going to happen to you. Jesus does not say that. So when scary, hard things happen to you, that doesn't challenge his identity. That doesn't challenge his care for you. But he is supreme over them. Do you see, Jesus' identity is so overwhelming because when you truly get it, it changes everything. Look at verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you see what's happened with these followers? They've gone from being afraid of the circumstances to terrified. Why? Because their point of reference for life has been shifted. Their point of reference has changed everything. Before they said, don't you care if we drown? It all seemed pretty reasonable. That's reasonable. Until that you realise Jesus is supreme over all creation. And he's laying the boat and he cares for you. And now it's terrifying. It's overwhelming because the one in whom the whole universe holds together is on their side right there. Jesus' identity is overwhelming because when we see it, we'll see that we have everything we need to face every circumstance, every moment. Look at verse 40. See Jesus' question. Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Do you see what he's saying? You've seen enough to be able to meet this circumstance with confidence. Because I've proved who I am. Do you see? It's like Jesus pointing the finger and saying, do you still not know me? You see, the strength of your faith is not determined by how confident you feel. It's determined by what your faith is in. The other day, I spotted my son Reuben in a soft play, like clinging to the side of the, you know, the kind of ropey bits that you get in a soft play, clinging to the side. And I went over, he was on the second floor, I went over, looked up, tried to work out what was going on. And he said, I can't walk on that. I looked up and it was that glass that you can see through. So they clearly made it so that you can see through to see what's going on on the, on the soft play um, underneath. And he's, he's clinging, like he's petrified, clinging to the side of the soft play. Says to me, I can't walk on that. Now, the soft play is pretty empty. There's no one around. So he's not seen anyone else walk over it. And so his assumption, clearly, is he can't walk on that glass. 
So I'm shouting up to Reuben, no, no, Reuben, it's tempered glass. That means you can it'll probably withstand, I don't know, X number of kilograms or pounds per... I'd, I've got no idea. But obviously not trying to bargain with this three-year-old. It could probably hold an elephant, Reuben. But he's clinging to the side, having none of it. Now, in that moment, his lack of faith in that glass... It makes no difference to whether or not it can actually hold his weight. The glass will either hold his weight or not. But when I go up there, I explain to him and show him it takes my weight. When he becomes familiar with the object of his faith, he can act with so much more confidence and stroll across because he knows What's going on? He's familiar. Are you familiar with Jesus? Do you really know him? Are you reminding yourself of what he's like? Do you know that you have all you need to face every moment with him? Maybe this summer as we spend some time in the book of Mark... You could read along in the book, Meet Jesus again. Will you invest time in a personal relationship with the living person, Jesus, the Messiah that is recorded? Will you get to know him by reading about him, spending time with him, speaking to him? Jesus' identity is overwhelming. Because... When we get it, when we really get it, he demands to be the foundation of our whole life. Look at verse 40. It's like Jesus is saying, the reason you were afraid was because your foundation was not me. Just think about the wise and the foolish builders, a story you've probably heard. The same storm comes to the wise and the foolish builders They both build a house, one on the rock, one on the sand. And the wise builder who builds his house on the rock, well, he meets the same storm as the foolish builder. One house stands and one house falls flat. What about you? What's your foundation? Mortgage rate changing pretty soon. It's going to affect many of us. What's your foundation? Is your foundation on the sand? Is your foundation on savings and salaries? Is your foundation just on your capacity to be financially savvy or flexible? Is your foundation on the fact that you'll be better off than most? Or is your foundation on the rock? Will you say, I'll be okay? Because this will cause me to lean on Jesus. Uncertainty in work, in your career, in your big picture plans. What's your foundation? Is your foundation on the sand? Is it on your employability, your adaptability? 
Is your foundation on your capacity to find a new job, to work really hard for a new challenge? Is your foundation on yourself? Or is your foundation on the rock? Will you say, I'll be okay because I'll meet this with Jesus? You concerned about your mental or physical health or appearance? Is your foundation just on the sand? Is your foundation just on pills, plans, procedures? Is your foundation on specialists, signs of progress? Is it on your own willpower and accountability? Is it just on that or is it on the rock? Will you say, I'll be okay because I'll meet this with Jesus? Because Jesus' true identity, it really is overwhelming. Because he is truly supreme over every created thing. And he intimately cares for you. He is mighty to save us. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to sing to praise him, mighty to save.